Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. From acclaimed filmmaker David Sutherland, Marcos Doesn't Live Here Anymore, examines the U.S. immigration system through the eyes of two unforgettable protagonists, from the eyes of two unforgettable protagonists whose lives reveal the human cost of deportation. Elizabeth Perez is a decorated U.S. Marine living in Cleveland. She fights to reunite her family after her undocumented husband, Marcos, is deported. Meanwhile, Marcos, alone in Mexico, working as a soccer referee, struggling with depression, and fighting the urge to cross the border illegally to see his family. With his signature raw, unfiltered intimacy, Sutherland weaves a parallel love story that takes us into the world often lived in the shadows. And that is the story behind Marcos Doesn't Live Here Anymore. We're honored to have with us today the director, David Sutherland. David, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Well, this is a an intimate look. It is an unhurried look at this issue in a way that gives the people and the situations time to essentially play out and really allows the subjects to sort of breathe and take on a life of their own in this film. Marcos doesn't live here anymore. Uh, it is a an approach that is not often seen in, a, in films about deportation and immigration. And it is a, it's a wonderful way to understand all of the different issues that surround this particular issue in our society. Tell me a little bit about how you got to know Elizabeth Perez and your feeling of moving forward to make a documentary about it. Well, actually, I got to know her after trying to connect with different groups that dealt with immigration. I was looking for a subject, particularly an undocumented family. And then what happened was I remembered that my son's, one of his best friends, was in Washington, D.C., and he worked with the National Council on La Raza. And I called him up, and he connected me to Veronica Dahlberg, who runs this group. It's like a last resort group that helps undocumented workers or people deported or being deported, and they're located in northern Ohio, but they work particularly across the state of Ohio and sometimes in other states as well. So Veronica took me around in Ohio. I followed her around, went out. We got along extremely well, and then I started to go to deportations. I started to meet some of all of her members at their meetings, and then I started to choose who I was interested in and who would talk to me. And th- many of them did, because I was always around. I, I had four major trips out there. I went on the road with them. This is before I was shooting, which began in January of 2014, which I finished the film in really in September of 2017, but I had a touch-up shoot in early 2019. And 2018, I mean. So what happened is, originally I found another family. The wife started to get on track to getting her citizenship. 
So my first shoot, I followed Elizabeth, who I had met. She had picked me up as a favor to Veronica at the airport. And she was driving me to my plane, just doing me a favor. I didn't know her, but Veronica Dahlberg asked her, would she take me? We started to chat. I, she told me her story. And so when I began filming, I had two subjects. Dora, the woman that you see who's in the middle, who's becoming a citizen, mm -hmm. and Elizabeth. And then what happened is Dora's status changed. I started to follow Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And how we things progress is I always tell filmmakers, um, you have to use your personality to let them know any subject that you're sincere. And so, for example, uh, when Elizabeth and I, I was instantly drawn to her story, but when I texted her when I got back to Boston that I was really interested in coming out again and maybe starting to film her uh, with a crew, my crew, she, I immediately signed the email or the text, Cheerio, and I put an S in, like Cheerios. Mm -hmm. And she wrote me back, grape nuts. But, we, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Is, and, you know, we, it's, that would be my personality and, say, her personality. But when you project yourself as you are, people will relate to you. So what works for me might not work for another filmmaker doing a close-up movie like this. Mm -hmm. So down the road, they start to you start to know that she's going to go the distance. That's always a big... No matter what happens, I'm going to follow her up to a certain point, which in this film, it wasn't decided. In other films, I usually figured out how long I would film. I can give you some examples of that, but why don't I stay on track with your <laughs> okay. question? So I became committed to this film. So and I started to come out. Yeah. And shoot. Yeah. Okay. Well, how long was it before you knew her backstory? And I would like, if you would like to, uh, kind of get into what her backstory is in in terms of her her own history. But what? But I, I'm curious. When did she start talking about her her previous life to you? Well, she it happened more and more as we went along. The first time I came back, and then I spent a lot of time with her, a second scouting trip out there. And I started to learn she was a high school dropout. She had joined the National Guard, and then she was in there for five years. And then if she was going to be in the National Guard, she, she always liked the idea of being a Marine. So then she went to Afghanistan and got decorated. But... Her story was, I also learned that she was graduating Cleveland State and that she was up to be class valedictorian. She didn't get it, and that's all in the film. But she cited at the graduation at Cleveland State, which is pretty good for a high school dropout yeah. on their GI Bill, because they've got, I don't know, twenty to 30,000 students there at the big school. And to have her, I didn't even know in that scene that she, the president was going to cite her as being exceptional. I got into the board before the graduation, and I was able to plug into it. And when they announced her and had her stand up, we were ready. But I didn't know anything that that was going to happen. Sometimes fortuitous things happen or lucky things, and you have to be able to take 
advantage of them. So basically, I learned a lot about it. And I saw her Skyping her husband, Marcos, and I met him over the Internet. And then I eventually, uh, on another shoot, met David Leopold, the lawyer. Veronica introduced me to him. And he was doing pro bono work for Elizabeth, Elizabeth's case. So was, everything was happening at the same time that things were happening to her and changing for her. Even though her husband had been deported in 2010, it's 2014, but she was sort of, had been through a few immigration lawyers and she was fairly lost and was still going to Cleveland State. And so all of these things, when I came upon the scene, not because of me, started to hit a certain rhythm, and things were moving ahead towards more and more petitions. But she had already had a number of petitions which had been turned down. I could get into tech talk or technical talk about her petitions, but I don't think you want to go there at this time. But you asked. Yeah, let's talk about the. Um, just well, I'm going to make an observation about her personality, and why I think it's so compelling, and why it is such a great catalyst for the film. She is a woman who has been. She's had a tough time at, at times in her life. She is a determined person. She's also someone who has a strong belief in her faith. And also, she is seems to be drawn to the idea of fate, in a way, because how they met, how Marcos and Elizabeth Perez met, sounds kind of random or hap- happenstance. Maybe it was. Yeah. Yeah, he was skateboarding by. I don't think all that is described, but maybe it was. But I, the other thing that you left out is she's unbelievably patriotic yes. beyond what you might think she would be, not just because she's a Marine, but she's very loyal to the country, which makes her stand out, especially with what's been happening to her. When you see her in a rally in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in front of the Raleigh, what was the Raleigh Tobacco Company, she's like the only white person really there speaking and all, most of these people are Latinos, and she's talking to them how she loves this country, and she's always faithful, and there's a moment to stand up for what you believe in, and sometimes you have to take action. So she's, she's full of all different, some not contradictions, and she's full of, and she's also very, um, she has strong faith, yes. religious faith. So all of these elements, most people wouldn't put all together in one person. And she also can be very funny. Like, she reminds me sometimes of Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. You remember? Oh, um, yeah. There's something about her that reminds me of Lily Tomlin. I've said that. But then you see other sides of her, like she could go to a graduation and be chewing gum. And at the same time, she's at a synagogue on a holy day, and... She's so sophisticated in that scene that you see a whole other side of her personality, which you don't expect. At least I didn't. Right. So she's a lot of... And remember, I'm a portraitist, and I'm interested in getting a likeness in all my films of the personalities, the protagonist. Is it accurate? Is what you see on film accurate? Mm -hmm. And her husband, Marcos, actually said that 
emotionally, it was, and Elizabeth has said, it's very accurate about them. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, I'm not a journalist. and I, It's not that I don't care about the issues, but the issues come out of the person. But is the personality of this family, including the kids as they get older and older, is that um, accurate? from my perspective and also theirs. They don't have final approval, but it's a big thing to me. Does this project an accuracy of what they're going through, but also who they are? And that's where, that's what a portraitist is. So you, and I might people, like a mix for me can be this film that took us two and a half months to mix, two hours. The farmer's wife had almost 400,000 audio events and took six months. Jeez. That's more than Apocalypse Now. Wow. So when you think about it, that's how much we wire people, and we're doing it live. Right. And so that's really, a, you know, and it's not in the studio like a Hollywood movie where you re-record later. So I just want to get that across when I say a portraitist. There's a lot of work that's gone into this out in the field, and we, me and my crew have worked together for a long period of time. Yeah. There so, is, I don't know if this helps, but I'm trying. I know you have film school radio, so I'm trying to give you an idea of what we're doing. No, I think that's fantastic. What you just said is, I thank you. I, there's one other aspect to her her personality that I would uh, also like to mention, and that is, she seems to be a woman, a person without guile. I, I oh, should, you're right. And and so it's everything that she is saying, and this sort of fits into this kind of the marine code. That's what, that's a sort of an easy way to sort of pigeonhole what I'm saying. But in another way, in her relationship with Marcos, in her relationship with everyone we see in the film, and and in these events that you mentioned that she spoke at, she is completely vulnerable in the way that she is describing what is important to her and and why she feels as strongly as she does. So well, I w- there's a scene there's a scene actually that demonstrates that there are many scenes but there's one that you brought to my mind. Um, if I can mention it because it's an interesting scene. There's a scene where um, Elizabeth you don't know it's Easter Sunday but they they're walking she's walking down the street in Cleveland in a neighborhood and she's got a baby carriage, and she's got a newborn, and then she had, she had been to visit Marcos. We find out she's pregnant, and then she has a baby. Right. And she's walking down the street, and one of the boys starts acting up, Rocky, the younger one. And he doesn't want to walk any further, and he lies down on the ground. Elizabeth is trying to get him up, and she sort of loses it. The following morning to say the least. Yeah. She's there praying to Mary and Jesus at an outdoor statue, statue of Mary because the church ended up being called a small church and it was the day after Easter, and for one reason or another, the church was closed. And she's talking, and I had filmed her praying before inside churches, but she often prays and she talks out loud. That's her nature. And she's saying to Mary... And she's thinking about the day before when she was, you know, she felt bad about what happened and she had told us that she's losing it. And she's talking to Mary saying, come on, and Jesus, 
come on, you guys, please help me. Yeah. But she refers to them, that's typical, with no guile yeah. in her own voice. Yeah. And she said they need to help her, please, and she begs them. And um, so I think that's an example of what you're talking about. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with the director of documentary film that's playing screening however you choose to say will be on pbs's independent lens starting monday april 15th and you can go to the independent lens site but i'm going to tell them about the site for marcos doesn't live here anymore dot squarespace dot com that's the website for the for the film and then also you can go to the pbs independent lens site which is what you would imagine it to be at pbs.org and you go there and you can it, there is a link for the independent lens and also one other thing i want to point people to to the site for our guest david sutherland and you can go there it's davidsutherland.com you can see uh you can see uh, you can read about uh, marcos doesn't live here anymore as well as his other films which include country boys kind-hearted woman the farmer's wife out of sight and many others what um one of the things about the film is you and you mentioned this earlier and i think this is so important it while the the main issue that's driving what is happening to this family is deportation and marco's attempt to come back into the united states it isn't a film about that it is it is it is a wind it provides us a window into a world of people who are dealing with the situation and under a, a lot of stress and pressure and this goes to your point about being a portrait portraitist and how this how you're able to tell this story uh through this lens of what's happened to marcos and why um that's always important to you, and from your previous work, is is this an accurate? Am I is am I being? It, it is. The issues come out of uh, the people. So if at the end of the movie you're wondering where are they now? Yes. Are they still together? Yes. And you've seen them fighting, and they were always, for the most part, fairly loving, and. Um, you've seen her on Skype talking to him. You've seen him crying when she visits him, begging her to move there. She had tried living there once, and they couldn't make it financially. And then she's able to come back as her pension increases. And the odds of them, of him coming back, at least not until 2020, when he can send another petition out and his 10-year permanent bar expires, he can apply again, so she moves to the Yucatan. So the question is, when they are fighting at the end and the family is reunited, the question comes up, where are they now? Yep. If you, whether you're for immigration and giving the dreamers um, their citizenship or you're not, it's not an advocacy uh, piece no matter what, they're imperfect people. All of my subjects have always been in these long-form documentaries. For the most part, they've got a lot of really good traits, but there are parts of all of us that are imperfect, and Marcos and Elizabeth certainly have their sides. But 
if you're worried or asking that question, no matter what your political feelings are about the topic of deportation, if you raise those questions, where are they? Is he with her? Did, did he get back? Or what are their plans? Or are they getting divorced? Then you've worried and you've gotten to know about an un, a family going through deportation. And that's really what my goal became. Yeah. Right. And one of the things about the film that there there's a underlying tension in the film that I would call time. Time away from each other, time waiting for the opportunity to reapply. There is this sort of, the clock is ticking on a lot of different things and a lot of, and the impact of that, how being away from one another, uh, Marcos being away from his, his family, her raising the two boys and the, and the young girl. How is that, you know, how does that play out? You're away from, uh, when you're separated as long as they are, then suddenly the, the pragmatist, pragmatic point of view begins to sort of take over. We've been apart for so long. How do you bring uh, the father into a family that's been raised by, and by Elizabeth? That's exactly And will they remember how to live together? And will they, that's a big question yeah, yeah. driving the story. Right. And the interesting thing about that is when you mention time, it's so perfect. Because we don't do a lot in the film to tell you exactly when this is taking place. Because for me, it was more irrelevant. Most of it is under Obama. But, you, but time is driving it, as you said, because she'll say we've, it's our seventh, sixth petition, or it's been five years, and now it's been six years. And the more the film goes on, and then she has one kid, and then... Yeah you'll find out at the end what else happens on that score. And then the thing is, you're driven by time, but you don't know the exact date. Right. And it, to me, it's more irrelevant. If that's, it's only how much time has gone by for them being separated. We learn it's almost been nine years, and they've lived together for almost one of them, all total, with her trips out there and whatever. You know, and that's not a lot, and that becomes a big concern to both of them. And they both start to get depressed at the same time. Right. And that was another thing. As the parallel action heats up the second half of the film, the kids get older and older, which again is time. I love your metaphor for time. Time unknown, exactly when are the dates, but time. It actually um, does drive the film. How many petitions? Yeah. You know, if this goes any more on anymore, and he's very worried to the last beat of the epilogue about time, what's going to happen in 2020 if it doesn't work and he can't come back. Time is driving it, and, it's, and the deportation is framing the whole timeline, right. how it affects both of them, particularly him. So you really hit the key word, if I... I, I guess all my interviews on this film have almost run out, but I but if, I think I have a big one coming up, and I'm going to use your time. Thank you. And the conflict in in and maybe not the right word to say in this context, but the conflict is her determination. I think they're both determined, but I from the point of view, and maybe because we spend more 
more of the film is focused on Elizabeth, just for a lot of reasons, practically speaking, it feels like this desire on her part, the always faithful, to not give up, to be a woman who is 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 so driven to do the right thing. And then you throw in, for me, just someone watching this, at what point does it just not be, it's not practical for you to think along the same lines after nine, ten years where you've been raising a family and all of a sudden you're, he's going to be introduced into a situation where these kids are now, they're becoming young men. They're becoming, they're bec- they're starting to figure out the world in which they live. And that is an incredibly difficult set of circumstances on top of the fact that they almost have to become reacquainted with one another. And they it's, do. Yeah, and so it's, right. all of those things are just really uh, difficult issues. I mean, they really, truly are. And this is what's in the film. I think that's it. Um, we want it to work. I'm watching it, and I want this to work out. And I think that's part of the appeal of this film is that I, I, I care about Marcos. I care about Elizabeth. I care about her children. I care about the extended family. The in-laws are, are they want it to work, and it just feels uh, unjust. It th- there's a sense of this isn't fair. Now there are reasons that can be argued both sides as to why this happened and who's responsible and blah blah. There's a lot of other things that you could talk about. That would mitigate that that uh, that you know that point of view, but at the same time, you care about them, and that is and that's and that's the whole. That is my goal: is yeah. to make you to show them as they are, and if you see them as they are, you'll care about them, and it's a big thing. Yeah, I've seen some comments on the web about it, so it's interesting. People's politics get it. It hasn't even gone on TV yet, but there's been comments written in, and it's interesting. Because, of course, there's a certain amount of politics. But for me, obviously, they are on people's minds. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that um, everybody that hears this interview watches it and um, decides for yourself yes. what you Yes, absolutely, David. Uh, they, they need to just watch it and decide for themselves. And just as human beings, I can't imagine that they, whatever their politics might be, that they wouldn't empathize with the situation, uh, politics aside. And um, my congratulations to you for the film Marcos Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And it is it's it is what the title indicates is what the situation is. Whether or not it's prophetic or not, uh, I guess, remains to be seen. And um, what powerful work. And uh, I am honored to have you on Film School Radio, uh, David. This has been a, a true joy. And, and I, I wanted to say uh, thank you very much. And I also wanted to say that anyone that there are a couple of films that we've mentioned, Kind, kind-Hearted Woman, about a Native American woman, which you can watch free on Frontline's website about a Native American woman and what happens to her and her family. It's five hours. You can watch it all free on their site. And Country Boys is six hours. And there are some clips from both of them on my website, or you can go to Frontline's website. But you can watch them. And hopefully you'll be able to watch The Farmer's Wife. But the big thing is to watch this. Yes. It, it's it's Monday night, April 15th. It will be screening as part of the Independent Lens series 
believe they call it the spring se- series, uh, spring season for Independent Lens. One of the, if not the premier um, documentary program in the world. I don't know what is, but uh, there, there it is. And it really, truly has been an honor. I'm, I, 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 I look forward to more of your. I can't wait to watch uh, Kind-Hearted Woman, Country Boys, and and when it's available, The Farmer's Wife. Um, Thank you so very, very much for being here on Film School today, David. David Sutherland. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.